0: Blob Talk radio Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. With your featured host Shaw McCain, a forensics counselor, psychic, writer, artist, modern day Christian mystic and UFO experiencer. Shah introduced guests who are experts on all aspects of the paranormal and the sacred. The Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show has been featured on Blog Talk Radio as Staff Pick. And now for your host, Shawn McCain.
1: Hello, everybody. Good evening. I'm your featured host, Shaw McCain, and we're happy here on Blog Talk Radio, and I'd like to welcome everybody to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show was created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow us on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And we're also happy to say we're in many different languages. So I found out by my listeners that they're in everywhere from uh, South America all the way out to Alaska, all the way out to uh, Finland. So uh, welcome people from out of this country and all over the United States and uh, Love you very much for listening and tuning in, and we're happy and proud. So The Paranormal Sacred airs every Friday night at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And during this show, show I can take questions in order in chat, and you may call in with your question and speak with our fantastic guest tonight. Any buzzkillers in chat, you know I'm going to threaten you anyway. Or on the phone, we'll be kicked out, and I have a copy of your stuff, so I'll bug you back. So don't bug me. I won't bug you, and we'll play nice. And we do have a couple of announcements. So the two. 2017 International UFO Congress is already underway. Um, the International UFO Congress has a Facebook page. You can go over there. And they also are saying to follow them through tweet at I-U-F-O-C or by checking out the hashtag, hashtag I-U-F-O-C. And they're going to have uh, videos from the past events on there. And they're also, you can find them at OpenMindsTV.tv. Uh, And it's going to be February 15th through 19th, 2017. So save your money and get your rooms over there at, where is the rooms the Guico Resort early so you can have a room at the host hotel. And they they all hang out and the musicians bring the guitars. I know they jam over there. So if you want to go, start getting ready and go over there to Open Minds TV where it's all at, openminds.tv. Okay, uh, for immediate release, uh, Yvonne Smith is the director and founder of the Close Encounters Research or, or Organization, and uh, it's also a Close Encounters uh, activities and groups and speakers that are really so amazing. Uh, they, we get them over there, wherever they are in the world, we bring them over, and we have guest speakers uh, once in a while. So, you can go to www.cerointernational.com and get all the uh, info on upcoming news reports and everything else. And Yvonne is also a licensed therapist, and she helps with the PTSD for abductees or any other kind of trauma. And so go ahead and you can. Her direct line is eight one eight three eight three six nine zero three. She said she will also Skype if you wish to. If you, she's out, if you're out of the area, anyway. You also gmail her at Yvonne4PTSD at com, And she wants to say, uh, we are having a support group, and this is in Southern California at the Huntington Beach location. I can't tell you where it at, but it will be on July 24th because it's a secret meeting, okay? Just people, experiences, and their friends go. Anyway, so if you want to... Anyway, and please remember, any donations to the site... Uh, are welcome and appreciated, and they help the continued word for the quest for truth and help preserve the experience of civil rights. Could contact these. I have civil rights too. Did you know that? Well, anyway, help us spread the word and I'll go post it on all your sites. Just tell everybody. And then we have another person, and she's in Huntington Beach, and Newport Beach. Sorry, and uh, she has a gorgeous office down there, and and her name is Kim Trotman, K I M. T R O T M A N dot com and she does inculcative counseling, card reading, hypnotherapy, injury energy work. I'm stuttering a lot. And chocolate clearing. I need my tongue cleared. Anyway, go ahead and call her too, because she's amazing. Eight six six five four six eight seven six eight. And uh her own, or she has regular office hours, ten to six, but I'm sure if you call her or email her or go to her site or whatever, you know, she'll Uh, She also does Skype readings, phone readings, in-person readings, and she's uh, really wonderful at it. Anyway, and then I have another friend. Now, she has – I know I have a lot of friends. But anyway, she has uh, these essential oils that are so amazing. And uh, you can reach her or or go to – they're called Love's Blessing. There's like 24 uh, essential oil ingredients, and this essence, it smells like incense. So you can kind of bless yourself or other people. I do it every morning before I go to work and help me fight the traffic. And she's in Ojai, California, and they have a beautiful site over there. So go to www.lovesblessing.com, where you can speak with her. Anyway, I love her, Marilyn Salas at gmail.com. Okay, so now for the best of the evening. I've had this woman on before, and she is an amazing author and person. And tonight we welcome author Louisa Oakley Green. And uh, she didn't believe in psychic phenomena at first when she met her husband, Stephen, but more than 20 years later, her views changed. Now she has two books in the Psychic Bystander series. So she's the one, these are the people that actually watch those other people that are nuts and psychic. And um, I I imagined, you know, what her life was like, because I'm sure the people around me feel the same way. Anyway, uh, she says she's uh, this, a scribe for several decades, her passion for the written word is evidenced by a career which has included working as in a newspaper reporter, a humor columnist, health magazine editor, public relations manager, advertising copywriter, medical writer, and finally, executive creative director of a digital advertising company. I told you she was amazing. These days, she earns her living as a freelance writer, and we're very lucky to know her. So at this point in the program, I'd like to welcome, live with a paranormal sacred, with Louisa oakley Green. Hi, Louisa. Hi. How you doing? I'm doing good. I can't talk, but I'm doing good. <laughs> now, I don't know. We welcome you back to the show. And um, I was reading part of your uh, latest book, and uh, you have led quite an extraordinary life yourself. And you've been like an observer of all this phenomena, especially since you uh, have sort of a lodestone there living in your house, your husband. So, yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah. Uh,
0: and well, I, I feel that, that people
1: like, excuse uh, oh, me I was ahead. just going
0: to say, as a journalist, we're always observers. <laughs> so even <laughs> exactly. in my own life, I'm an observer.
1: I know. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, from your point of view, what it must be like, you know, having people, well, people have watched me actually have a conversation, you know, talking out loud, and then the phone will ring, and then I'll have the, the same conversation again. <laughs> I'm the phone with a real person there, so <laughs> it's odd. So you know what I want to hear about? Where did you grow up, and uh, uh, where are where you get to start from?
0: Well, um, I grew up in beautiful New Jersey, <laughs> where I still live. And uh, I grew up in a an environment where anything psychic was laughed at and thought of as superstitious. So uh, coming from that type of background. Uh, It's very odd um, who I ended up marrying. I I like to think that uh, the universe has a sense of humor. (laughs) And so, of course, I was so obnoxiously skeptical about anything paranormal. Uh, Who do I meet and fall in love with and marry but someone who's a very talented psychic? He doesn't do it for a living. He just has that ability. But uh, what's more, and uh, psychic ability tends to be inherited, uh, he comes from a family where about half of the members of his family are also very psychic. So I guess you could say I'm surrounded. I <laughs> if you're going to be getting it up by osmosis,
1: you know, if uh, you're starting to notice things that they notice.
0: Well, um, I'd say the change for me has not necessarily been that, ooh, I'm suddenly able to see things that I didn't see before. Um, it's more a matter of I'm um, more open-minded and respectful Uh, which I was not originally, um, you know, so I I guess you could say I have a a better attitude. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And uh, uh, where did you meet your husband? Well, uh, that was actually the next thing I was going to talk about. I I like to talk about how I met my husband because I think it it gives you a wonderful example of the difference between how two people, one not psychic at all and another a psychic, can get something entirely different out of the same evening, And, and that was the evening we met. And just to set up the story so that the listeners can appreciate what's going on, um, it's uh, basically accepted in science that all of us have vibrating electromagnetic fields. Uh, And your electromagnetic field tends to be almost like a fingerprint, like no two people are vibrating at exactly the same rate. And some psychics can uh, sense that. So knowing that, you'll understand the rest of the story. Um, I was working as a freelance writer many years ago, and um, I guess more than 20, because we've been married for more than 20 years, and I was given an assignment to interview a uh, psychic in the area, and I thought, oh boy, um, rolled my eyes a little bit, but you know, a professional writer goes on any assignment they're given, so I went to interview her, and I was very surprised, she turned out to be incredibly intelligent, uh, articulate, and interesting, um, but I was still a little bit of a wise guy. Uh, at the end of the interview, I looked at her and I said, so if you're a psychic, uh, who am I going to marry? And she just kind of smiled and she said, well, I uh, I have a psychic development class one night a week. You're welcome to come anytime you want, whenever you're ready. And I went, oh, okay, fine. And I'm thinking to myself, well, she certainly sloughed that one off. Um, <laughs> went back, uh, handed in the story and abruptly forgot about her invitation. Uh, and then about a year later, for some reason, that memory of being invited bubbled up in my mind, and I thought, well, I'm kind of bored. Um, maybe I'll just go to the psychic development class and see what's, you know, what it's all about. So I showed up at her home, uh, rang her doorbell, and to my surprise, she remembered exactly who I was, which is kind of strange when you consider I'd only met her once, a year before, and we'd only spoken for an hour. So uh, I was very impressed that she remembered me, and um, I I walked in, she introduced me to all her regulars, because most of the people came to class every week, and I shook a lot of hands, and uh, then we started doing exercises, um, you know, kind of psychic exercises and things like that, and I remember at the end of the evening thinking, wow, that was actually kind of fun, I mean... Uh, You know, I don't seem to have the same ability as a lot of these other people, but I think this is kind of fun, and I think I'll come back. And that was really all I got out of that evening. Um, Now let's kind of roll it back a little bit. One of the hands I shook that evening was uh, the hand of my future husband, Stephen. He'd been going to the class for, for about seven years. And when he left that class that evening, he raced home to announce to his parents that he'd met the woman he was going to marry. Now, that's really odd because we really hadn't even had a conversation. (laughs) He just shook my hand. Um, But uh, Stephen is able to, when he shakes a person's hand, feel their vibrational rate. And usually there's a spike of energy between his vibrational rate and that other person's while they adjust, while they're shaking hands. And when he shook my hand that evening, for the first time in his life, he felt no spike and what that meant in his mind was that we were vibrating at the same rate, and consequently we were soulmates. And as far as he was concerned, that meant we were going to get married. Uh, so, um, I, fortunately, wow. he didn't tell me that at the time. Or he, I probably would have been scared off, you know, like, hey, this nut. Um, but uh, we did get married about a year later. Um, he eventually worked up the, uh, the courage to ask me out, and uh, we really hit it off. And, uh, you know, I guess he was right. Wow. You know,
1: it's amazing that uh, you're mentioning that that touch and that there's different vibrations and everything else. Um, I'm remembering this one thing. I I was so stunned when we actually, okay, I was in this, I was getting a cup of coffee and I was still with my husband. So he was, he was there. I I guess I was getting a refill or something, but he was there sitting there. But then I went up to this, uh, you know, get put your cream and all that in the coffee, and I accidentally bumped like knuckles with this guy, right? But I felt who he was right then. I was so stunned I couldn't even turn around and look at him.
0: It's pretty amazing um, how perceptive psychics are. One of the things, um, like people always say to me, well, how come you're not more psychic because you live with one? But uh, one of the books that I researched when I was writing, actually both of my books, uh, was a book by Dr. Diane Hennessy Powell, and she's a neuropsychiatrist who taught at Harvard Medical School. And she wrote this wonderful, very scientific book called uh, The ESP Enigma, The Scientific Case for Psychic Phenomenon. And so what she did in that book was she very uh, analytically reviewed every single what she felt to be scientific study on the paranormal that's ever been done in a, it, like many countries, um, because she wanted to try to analyze it. She'd had an experience as a child that really piqued her interest in the paranormal. And one of the things that she found uh, was that psychic ability tends to be inherited. It, the brain and the nervous system is like an incredibly sensitive antenna, and that sensitive antenna tends to be inherited so that you'll find clusters of psychics and families. Which I found interesting and there's no psychics in my family, so I, you know that's, that's what, kind of my explanation for why I, I don't have much of an ability, but she also found um, like maybe ninety percent of people inherit their um, psychic ability, but about ten percent of people um, adjust their brain nervous system antenna through trauma and become psychic and uh, there's three examples that I give uh, the first one is George anderson who's a very talented psychic medium in Long Island. And when he was a child, he got chickenpox and he had a very bad reaction and his brain swelled. And the doctors told his parents that he probably wasn't going to survive. Or if he did survive, uh, they didn't give much hope for his level of brain function after that. And uh, miraculously, he totally recovered with one difference. When he recovered, He now could see dead people as easily as he could see the living. Uh, This obviously caused a lot of problems with him, but the point is his brain and nervous system antenna had been adjusted by that trauma. Another person um, who had a a trauma and then became psychic was a very talented psychic in the Netherlands, Peter Herkos. And he was up one day on a ladder working on his roof, fell off, hit his head, and from that point on, (laughs) I guess he adjusted that antenna, and he was psychic. Uh, The third fellow, and this is an entirely different type of circumstance, um, he's actually rather well-known. His name is um, uh, Joseph McMoneagle, and he worked for 10 years for the – or maybe even more than 10 years for the uh, U.S. military's remote viewing program, right? Uh, And that's a program where they um, – psychics are able to tell what's going on in other countries and other places, and they give that information as intelligence to the military, um, but he didn't have that ability until after a near-death experience. And when he recovered from the near-death experience, suddenly he became psychic. So those are examples of how trauma uh, can give you that more sensitive brain nervous system antenna. And and there's one other thing she had in her study, which I found both, both interesting and, and slightly bad for my ego. And that was that she suggested, and I've heard this from many psychics as well, that um psychic ability represents an evolution of the brain. So people who are psychic are actually more evolved. And um the reason why I find this demoralizing is because then I have to admit that my husband is more evolved than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, uh thank you for saying that because why
1: um you mentioned it on your uh on your pay your your Blog page. I cannot remember anything tonight, and uh, I got a little tired. But anyway, <laughs> about psychic shaming. Uh, you brought up that question of people, you know, uh, being shamed for being psychic or well, being at.
0: shamed for not being psychic. Basically, not. not oh, people, really? Usually, people who are psychic. You know how people who have an ability sometimes can't understand what other people don't have that ability. Uh, yes. Well, the same thing goes with psychics. Now, everyone I've ever heard who says everyone has the potential to be psychic, everyone's really psychic, you just have to develop it, they're always psychic. Um, but based on what Di- Dr. Diane Hennessy powell says or, or believes from her studies, actually some people have that um, inherited brain-nervous system-sensitive antenna that others of us, like me, don't have. So it might well be that some people really are Um, predisposed to be more psychic than others and uh, the example i like to give is you know um, there are people like uh, barbara streisand and christine aguilera and like you know amazing singers out there and we're all born with a voice or most of us and uh, we can improve that voice if we take voice lessons but that doesn't mean that we're going to sound like barbara streisand or christine aguilera because if you're not born with the right vocal cords it doesn't matter how much you practice you're not going to get there some people are just born with a little bit more advantage than others. And I, I refer to psychic shaming as when people who have that ability and can't understand why somebody else wouldn't just say, well, you're just not trying hard enough. Well, I don't think that's the case. So that's right. kind of the point I make. Yeah, that's point. But,
1: um, you know, um, I, I don't feel – I was led in my family, they had a fear of psychic ability. And, a lot of uh, a I lot of families concerned. do. Yeah.
0: yeah,
1: that's what I wanted to ask you: uh, How does a person operate within a family if they all fear the gift you have? And it's very confusing for a child.
0: Well, uh, that's a very emotionally damaging thing. I mean, uh, yeah. George Anderson, they, his parents tried to get him committed to a mental institution, and uh, they the uh, psychologist there, thank thank goodness, um, sat down and and gave him an evaluation. And he looked at him at the end of the evaluation and he said, there's nothing wrong with you. You don't belong here. I'm going to make your your parents take you back home. You can't be committed. Because he, he had the ability to, to predict when people were dying and, and he knew things he shouldn't have known. And um, his parents uh, were devout Roman Catholics and they thought maybe the devil might be involved and they were freaking out. Um, I think that um, whenever a child has any type of ability, whatever it might be, and it isn't appreciated, um, and they're made to feel uh, that it isn't a positive thing that's damaging. Um, I'd have to say that uh, the majority of people I've interviewed, because both of my books are anthologies of everyday people's psychic experiences, and both of them have more than 100 stories in them, Um, and I would say the majority of those people uh, were very happy that my policy was, I'll only use your first name. Um, because uh, they were afraid of being made fun of. I had school teachers that were afraid they'd lose their jobs. Um, there's, you know, even if you grow up in a family, and, and it's, it's funny, my, my husband grew up in a family where everybody was perfectly comfortable with psychic abilities. His grandmother was highly psychic, his brother was, his aunt was. It was talked about like, you you know, you'd talk about anything over a cup of coffee. Um, so, so his problem <laughs> was that he didn't have a filter when he went out of his house, yeah. he didn't realize that people would think he was a nutcase. And when we were first married, I I had to say to him, "This is someone you can't talk openly with." Like this one's okay, and like he didn't seem to, you know, to him he couldn't understand why anybody wouldn't be perfectly okay with the conversation where he talked about psychic experiences. And uh, sadly, um, we're we're supposed to be in an uh, in an open-minded. Uh, phase in history, but really, uh, we're not. Um, A lot of people are are very afraid to expose themselves as being psychic. And the thing that surprised me the most when I was writing the books was how many people I've known all my life who only opened up and told me their story when I said that I was writing a book on this. And then they went, Oh, well, I, you know, I had this experience or that experience. These are people I've known my entire life, I had no idea, because no one talks about these things. You know it's phenomenal because
1: I was looking at some of the pictures that some of people that you've interviewed are in the book. They allowed their pictures and things like that. But
0: some were comfortable.
1: Um, I'm, yes. Yeah, some were comfortable, and uh, it reminds me of you know where I was at uh, three about three and a half years ago. I decided just to come out of the closet. So I thought I would just do, like, a (laughs) (laughs) bust-out.
0: You found out who your friends were after that, huh? Yeah, that's what
1: I'm saying. I thought I I was going to do a bust-out. Instead, it was a creep-out, you know, and I'm still, like, creeping out (laughs) through that door. (laughs) And because, um, you know, very odd things happen, you know. Um, Where I work, people, those people are also perceptive, you know, and uh, for whatever reason. But I think they're good people readers, my clients. But anyway, um I was having a session and the people v- working on the air conditioning came in. There was one guy he came in, he was trying to judge. he says, Your air conditioner is not on. So I've been, you know, bugging them, the air conditioner isn't on. We're having eighty degree uh meetings here in the group room and in my office it was, it was bad. Anyway, so just before he left the office, he said he said something so small that I, I uh my client said something about me uh, actually catching what he was saying. What he was saying is this place is haunted. I went, oh, interesting. Uh, he said that as he was leaving, yes. And I went, wait a minute. Uh, come back in here. <laughs> and I said, what makes you say that? And uh, I have posted, I got some videos of this. So I did pour uh, some orbs and all kinds of just strange stuff happens in that office. But I got a picture of the orbs in action. But he said, you know, orbs and all that. I did not know this guy. I swear to you. And he, but he's it's like six floors, I think six, seven floors. So he's up and down working on all the floors. But it's the first time I actually saw him. And I said, yeah, there's a lot of orbs in there and it's haunted. And I said, do you – he said, well, I think they're children's spirits. That's exactly what
0: I thought. And it was was weird getting
1: confirmation.
0: Isn't it odd, though? It was Uh, odd because the other guy... I think that's very interesting when people confirm things. Me too. My first experience with um, kind of a tipping point of of finally saying, oh, my gosh, there's something going on here, was uh, when two people uh, collaborated something for me from my father's funeral. Um, You know, people often ask, Mm -hmm. well, when did you begin to believe in this? And I guess about... I guess... (coughs) Let's see. It would have been, I I say five years, but, you know, I'm thinking about it. And it was actually two years after we were married. Um, My father passed away and I was helping my mother plan the funeral. And, you know, you don't think very clearly and make logical decisions when you're, you know, grieving. And I called up the pastor of the church when we were young, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, because I figured, well, he knows my father. I want somebody speaking at the funeral who actually knew him, not someone who's just saying nice stuff. And what I didn't give much thought to was the fact that I hadn't been in that church for <laughs> a good 20 years. And the pastor had long ago retired. He was in his 80s. And uh, when I called, his, his wife said, um, oh, um, you know, she was like so happy that somebody remembered him. I'll send him down. He'd be glad to do it. Uh, I went, all right, fine. So he checked that off the list. And uh, the day of the uh, the wake Uh, came, and I'm in there uh, greeting people, and uh, the minister says, I'd appreciate it if everybody would sit down. I'd like to say a few words. So I sat between my mother and my husband. And he starts talking, and suddenly we slowly begin to realize that he's lost his focus, and his conversation is kind of all over the place. And, of course, he's such a nice gentleman. We all sat there politely. We didn't want to offend him. Um, And after about 15 minutes of this, my husband leaned over, and uh, said, I see your father next to the minister. His arms are crossed. He's tapping his foot, and he looks very impatient. And, (laughs) you know, that's interesting, but that didn't convince me of anything. Um, It was something that happened a week later. Uh, I didn't really have a chance, nor did my husband, uh, to talk to his younger brother that evening or that day at at the uh, wake. Um, So we didn't really uh, get a chance to, you know, Uh, say anything other than thank you for coming, blah, blah, blah. And uh, a week later, he called, and he said, uh, Louisa, I didn't want to say anything uh, the day of the funeral, but um, while the minister was talking, I saw your father standing next to him, and his arms were crossed, and he was tapping his foot, and he looked impatient. And that blew me away, because here were two people who hadn't spoken to each other who told me precisely the same thing that they had seen. And I, I just kind of sat back and I went, oh, wow, this is, you know, maybe I need to really be paying attention to this. Maybe there really is something going on. You know, it's not just like a quirky little personality thing that's going on with this family. Um, so that, you know, those, are the, those types of coincidences, those type of confirmations are, to me, what, you know, lends a lot of credibility um, to people's perceptions
1: Yes, Um, and it's also um, it's wonderful to not be something alone. You know, as much as you know, let's say if you're an artist or a writer, you can't write with everybody standing there, or you can't do art. You have to do it by yourself. But it's it's good to know that other people are in that same zone where uh, you know you'll get an answer because you know a lot of this stuff is unanswered. And you're lucky to get answers or confirmations. To me, I think it's a blessing, really. Oh,
0: I to think To get a confirmation a gift. for something. Yes. I think it's a gift. And, and contrary to what you see on television, and I'm not criticizing that because it's good entertainment, um, I believe, based on all the interviews I've done, um, I mean, over 200 stories, and um, based on people I've spoken to and things I've read, that the majority of paranormal. Um, events are loving and comforting and supportive um, and, you know, represent a very positive energy. Uh, the The scary stuff that you see on television is very entertaining, but I would say that that's a minority of what's going on. Um, so there's actually not as much to be afraid of as people might think.
1: No, there's actually a lot to be grateful for, you know, because I remember I was dating this really, you know, very, he had his own, he was a techie, so he had his own computer business, and he had all this, he was real handsome and everything else, so we were dating. And then I just asked him, I also cut his hair. So he was in the salons at that time, I was, I was doing hair, and uh, I still do it on the side, but anyway, I was in the salons down at the beach, and I was being real cute, and I was dating this guy. So anyway, I just asked him as far as conversation. I said, Do you believe in God? That's all I asked. And he said no. And I remember being stunned because I before that, you know, I really thought he was a really smart person. <laughs> well he he
0: may be smart, I look, but I mean I, look, I think yeah, that, up to uh, that. Beliefs kind of uh run on a parallel track. Like there's in, intellect on one track, there's emotional maturity on another okay. track, there's spirituality on another track and I mean, I've met people of all different intelligences that are either, you know, emotionally intelligent or emotionally morons. I've met very spiritual <laughs> intellects, very spiritual people who are not very intellectual. And I think that those things, you know, like, and I think people have a right to believe or not believe whatever they want. I do too. You know, I do believe that. But then
1: I asked him, you know, because I actually walked in front of him at this point and looked him in the face and said, So, what do, you, what do you think is going on? Where do we go? And, in- what about all these, you know, things like, that I call miracles happen? What, what, are, what do you think of that? He said there's nothing. He said there's nothing after this, and he said there's nothing a miracles. didn't believe in miracles. I was well, shocked. You know, I stopped then, seeing then that guy. Then you probably
0: didn't have a lot in common because that's no, like that's a basic core value. And, uh, you know, oh, I mean, yeah. he certainly had the right to feel that way, but yes. uh, you weren't going to have a very deep connection.
1: Well, how I, I really could not understand how a person could just operate on that level, really, because when you think that, uh, let well, if you are psychic, you, you see things or dream things or feel things, you know, this stuff's going on all the time. It's it's very. Oh yeah, active. but you've just not you've like, just yeah. caught
0: the essence of this. I'm assuming yes. he was not psychic. Um, no. Okay. My observation is that people who do not have psychic ability or do not have someone who they love and trust and or trust, um, who has psychic ability, have no reason to believe in anything, because, except culturally, if that they were raised a certain way, because they have no experience with it. I mean, when I was growing up, um, I had no reason to believe in anything paranormal or, or anything beyond the physical world because I'd never experienced anything. Um, my husband changed my mind on a lot of that stuff. So I totally get where people are coming from. They, they have no frame of reference for anything outside of the physical world. Um so I, I get that. I think it's unfortunate. I get it. Um you know um it's unfortunate but I'm in even that you're talking about excuse me, go ahead. No that, that's okay. Well, go ahead.
1: Well I'm really talking about the physical world too that I found that there was a miracle. You know what I mean I guess my thinking of what's a miracle was not matching up because I do think this world is is really awesome. That you just consider breaking open a rock, and you've got all that stuff going on inside that rock, you know, <laughs> geos and stuff like that. That's so what I'm talking. To me, that's a miracle. But I understand people that something incredible. I don't, I don't know.
0: Well, he probably is. And, and my, my experience is that, for instance, when I was younger, I had some uh, paranormal experiences, but I dismissed them because I had no way to integrate them into my belief system. And that tends to be the case. Like, people can have something happen, and they'll find a way to dismiss it if, it, if they can't integrate it into their belief system, if they don't believe in anything. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. You have to have an awareness and a belief system to see things that are happening around you and to, to recognize them. So um, I, I, I guess his, his way of behaving doesn't surprise me. It, it's almost logical. You know, he didn't yeah. have that frame of reference. Although it's interesting, I, I've noticed that um, a lot more paranormal um, awareness is kind of getting into our society. Um, you see, obviously, you see it a lot more on television, but um, yeah, I agree. it's also a lot more in conversation. And one of the things that really surprised me when I was writing my second book was that the real estate market has a legal terminology for haunted properties. Um, they're called stigmatized properties, and this is according to an article in Realtormag.org, oh. so I'm not making it up. This is, this is them. And mm-hmm. um, they, they say in the article that while such homes may not be defective in any physical manner, spirit squatters may reduce their value. Uh, situations covered under the term stigmatized include homes that are, were the site of a murder, suicide alleged haunting or other parapsychological phenomenon and about half US of the u.s states have laws related to stigmatized property so it's like that common um but most don't require sellers to disclose if they have a ghost now if you live in texas new york or california you are required uh but most other um most other states do not require it so you're lucky you live in California, um, but. The article suggests, and this is—I mean, this is—this blows my mind because this is a real estate magazine. Yeah, suggests telling your real estate agent if you or others have noticed in your home objects lifting up or moving by themselves. I think I'd be telling people uh, voices mm-hmm. or sounds when no one else is around, and/or strange light or shadow phenomenon that happen repeatedly. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Now, this is mainstream America. It's the real estate industry, and they uh, actually have a legal status for haunted homes and uh, advice for homeowners when they're trying to sell one.
1: Well, it's, uh, the book we've been talking about, The Sighting Undiscovered Country, is Tales Retold by a Psychic Bystander. And uh, the book is available on uh, – and I, I found it in Amazon on Kendall and uh, you are actually can I look at this further that um you know you're you're actually going at this kind of in a unique way, I think. You know, because you're actually sorta of, well now you're inside I feel, but you're on the outside looking in and then making uh observations. I think that's a phenomenal thing for a person to take on. Because most well, people, like you said like you said earlier, you ignored it, but people tend to block it, not only ignore it, but say it didn't happen when it
0: just happened right in front of you. Right, because they can't process it. Uh, I mean, no. I, I refer to myself as a psychic bystander. That, my first book was Memoirs of a Psychic Bystander, and my second one is Tales Retold by a Psychic Bystander, because I feel like I'm surrounded by all these very uh, talented and insightful people, but I don't really have much ability myself Um So I'm telling everybody's stories, and I try to do it as a journalist with. I interview people, and I let them tell their story in their own words, and I don't do any spin on it, the way journalism is supposed to be anyway. Um, There's one story uh, that I like to tell related to real estate, um, and this is a story that was told to me by um, a woman named Barb, who's actually a national radio talk show host, and she was kind enough to share this story with me. She's very psychic. she uh, she was looking for uh, a smaller home a- after her divorce. And so a real estate agent was taking her around. Uh, I guess she lived in Colorado, uh, outside of uh, the town she lived in, and uh, showing her various homes. And one home she considered was a single-story, cream-colored, craftsman-style home. And uh, he took her in, and they were walking through the kitchen and the great room, and uh, she said she really liked the house, but the only thing she couldn't understand was why all the electrical sockets were so high on the wall. They were much higher than normal, and just as she was asking the real estate agent about that, his phone rang, and he said, well, why don't you just look at the rest of the house uh, while I finish my phone call, and then we'll you know, ca- catch up with each other, and she said, okay, fine. So she starts looking around, and then she wanders into the master bedroom, and she was a little bit startled because she saw she saw a man sitting there in a wheelchair. Uh, he was balding. He wore wire-rimmed glasses, and he looked to be in his 60s, and she was extremely embarrassed to have walked in on him in his bedroom, and she apologized uh, profusely, and uh, he said, oh, oh, that's okay. That's fine. Uh, you know, don't worry about it, and he introduced himself, and he explained he was the owner of the house, and then he proceeded to tell her about the history of the house as well as about his dog and his family. And finally smiling, he added, you know, you're a lovely person with great energy. I would love for you to buy this house. And suddenly wow. Barb sensed the real estate agent in the doorway behind her and turned to face him. Uh, the agent asked who she was talking with, and when Barb turned back to point out the owner, he was gone. The agent stared at her. He, she, he was um, very upset. He grabbed her by the arms and uh, said, "Let's get out of here." And as they're walking out, she says, "Oh, by the way, he told me the electrical outlets were higher on the wall so he could reach them in his wheelchair." <laughs> and um, she also told the real estate the man's name, the real estate agent's the man's name, uh, everything that they'd talked about. And uh, he said, "Don't ever do that again." And she said, "What do you mean?" And he said, "Well, the person you described, uh, all the details you said were accurate. There's only one problem." Uh, he died six months ago, and it's his family who's putting the house on the market.
1: Oh, boy. Do I have chills right now?
0: So I thought that was kind of a an interesting story, and that's very typically Barb because she has these type of experiences. Um, but that's my real estate story to go along with all that information on real estate. <laughs> well, you know, my psychic uh things that
1: uh, they've been talking to me when when you're talking and I'm actually seeing a, a movie or a series about this.
0: Oh, that that's very kind of you. <laughs> I would love that. Um it's funny because uh I just got a review from indie reader uh dot .com that that's um it's a website that reviews all independent books and uh rates them. And they gave the the book five stars, and they also I won their uh, national contest, uh, the book won Amazing, congratulations! Award. Thank you. And one of the things they said in their review was probably going to be a television series at some point. And I went, oh well, wow, that's great. <laughs> it has to be because thank you, you've already written it all for them. Whoever picks
1: this up, which I hope you're listening,
0: you well, know, it has it's, more it's more already all written. Stories, yeah. That's well, what I, I'm I saying.
1: This could this could go on and. Uh, you know it'll be awesome because you know uh, I love readings. I love the actual books too, you know. But it, but I do love watching those series. You know whether they're you know paranormal something or whatever. You know I've watched them and uh, I like them. You know a oh, lot. Some of the ghost of ones I don't like it, but it's a lot of fun. It is.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, let me tell you another story since I have so many. Um, yes. I I have. <laughs> A story about, uh, one of the chapters in my second book is called Not So Imaginary Friends, and it's about the imaginary friends that children have. And um, one particular story I single out and I like to tell because, to me, it really goes beyond the typical invisible friend story that you hear from children. I mean, it's like one step beyond. Um, This story came from Christine, who's an export-import coordinator, and I think they were living in New York at the time. Uh, She had a little daughter. Uh, Her daughter's grown now, but this happened when her daughter, Marlena, was about three or four years old, and uh, Marlena was very psychic from a very early age, uh, but she was also very shy, and she liked to play in her bedroom with her dolls. She had like a typical little girl bedroom of the time. There was a table with a tea set, and um, she had a little miniature rocking chair she would sit across from in her little chair. And... Uh, You know, she had dolls everywhere. Um, And she was in a bedroom that was at the top of the basement stairs so that when uh, Christine was coming up with a load of wash, she could kind of glance into the room and keep tabs on Marlena and make sure she was okay. Um, One day, Christine was walking up the stairs with a load of wash in her arms, and she glanced into her daughter's bedroom, and she saw Marlena handing her Barbie doll to somebody in the rocking chair the rocking chair was rocking all by itself and when she handed the doll it was suspended in air and this really alarmed christine so she walked through the threshold and as soon as she did the chair stopped rocking and the doll fell and uh, she said to her daughter marlena who are you giving this doll to and marlena replied mommy don't you see there's a little girl sitting in the chair." Wow. I thought I'm too that was scared. <laughs> <It's a> little <laughs> kids. <laughs>
1: I've seen a lot of stuff, you know, I hesitate to even mention it because I don't want anything to come to me. But anyway, the little children's, era, I did actually live in a haunted house. Many of them in this area I live in. This one I'm in is not haunted for some wonderful reason. I'm so glad. And they were built, I looked up this history of this house, they were built in 1924, and uh, just a lot of old school stuff. The ironing board still in the wall and all that. So I knew, you know, there's a lot of spirits in this town. So I lived around the corner, and there was uh, a lot of stuff going on. And my kids were the first ones to notice it because I knew that stuff was going on, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I didn't want to believe it because, you know, your kids are in the house. Well, I yeah, although not all calling. ghosts
0: are, you know, some ghosts are benevolent. For instance, the, uh, Marlena's ghost, she actually yes. played with every every single day until she became a teenager. And then she lost interest in playing with this little girl and she went away. But she was a very benevolent little spirit. She just wanted to play.
1: Yes. In that that house, um, everybody was sound asleep, but I went in the restroom and I heard kids laughing in the <laughs> kids' room. I don't know what are yeah. they doing up in the middle of the night, like two in the morning. I went in there; They sounds—they've plus the kids laughing were too young for so my. They were, my kids were a little older than that, and uh, it
0: really—I
1: yeah, found that it would weird, made me and scared. feel
0: uncomfortable. Yeah, that's and, what I mean. Um,
1: like they're doing something in the kids' room. It scared me, and then somebody came up. This lady came up. I'll never forget this lady. She came up to the door. She had two big Great dames. She was walking them. These were huge dogs. And she came up to the door, and the, you know, I opened it, and I said, you know, hi, what's your name? She said, well, I, I wanted to talk to you. Like, well, what? And uh, she said, my, do you have any problems in this house? I am like, yeah, it's haunted. And she said, well, well her brother OD'd in there, and OD'd oh. in, the, in the kids' room. So this is what we heard a lot of, was when he would come in the door, open and shut it, and this is what we heard. In the middle of the night, he opened and shut the door. I guess it was her brother. And you, the weight of on the carpet would actually creak the, the heater. You know how that is in houses when they're older yeah, houses? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you hear the creak. You knew somebody was walking, and then it would kind of disappear. But then the kids would wake me up and say, somebody's in the kitchen opening, shutting, and slamming all the cupboards and everything. I go in there. I remember standing side by side with my son and staring in there. Nothing was out of place. It just seemed like but it was always the same time, and, you know, it was quite disturbing, and it's weird because I was looking at my, uh, you know, uh, we all share different websites around, but you can kind of see it when you're in your browser. You know how you drop that address down, and you can see everybody's uh, Internet in the area?
0: hmm
1: Well, one says Haunted House. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, man, those babies people know, but they've made it really pretty, but it, to me, it still looks haunted, so they know, too. Well actually health I, I couldn't believe it until I saw
0: it. I have a very funny story about um, a ghost in England who um, did something rather unusual. It uh, showed, showed an uh, kind of an above and beyond form of honesty. Um, wow. The story comes from um, Peter who uh, was a constable, which is a police officer in in England, and uh, he told me, "I'm not psychic at all, but boy, this stuff just lands in my lap wherever I go." Um, And uh, so he told me a story of prior to becoming a police officer, he worked for the gas company as a meter reader. And one of the things he would have to do is go into a house uh, and make sure everything was turned off if nobody was living there anymore um, and do a final meter reading. And uh, they had a procedure for that. Um, Usually there was no electricity in the house when you were doing that, so everything was dark, and they were almost always going into the basement um, because the the meters in those days were inside, not outdoors, as, as they are in a lot of places today. And uh, so the procedure was, first they'd take their flashlight, and they'd shine it at the ceiling so that they could make sure there's nothing that they could hit their head on. Then they'd take the flashlight, and they would shine it on the stairs, one stair at a time, to make sure there was nothing on the stairs, and then down at the floor below. Uh, And once they established there was nothing to hit their head on or to trip over, then they could walk downstairs. So he had to do a meter reading for a gentleman who had been murdered. So uh, there was no one in the house anymore. And uh, he got to the house, and uh, he got to the stairway, so he aimed his uh, flashlight up, uh, made sure there was nothing he could hit his head on in the ceiling. There wasn't. Uh, Then he uh... aimed his flashlight down one stair at a time to make sure there was nothing on the stairs and there was nothing on the stairs so he walked down he made sure the gas was turned off it was did the final meter reading and then turned around and went to the stairs and uh... as he flashed the flashlight up the stairs he noticed there was something on the stairs now he was quite sure it hadn't been there before because he'd done that procedure and he knows uh... he knew at the time that there there had not been anything on the stairs So he walked up and he lifted up uh, this paper that was on the stairs and it was a check um, signed by the deceased to someone to whom he owed money. So um, I think it's very interesting that even though uh, he had died, he still felt an obligation to make sure someone was paid. To me, that really goes above and beyond.
1: It really does. And how – I. I, from what I have experienced in that you know, zone, is that we do share the feelings. You know, we do have many of the same feelings. And I think just not all the really bad stuff. You know, the pain of living. You know, that's mm-hmm. not there. But the concern is, and we have. You know, I wanted to ask the question. It's kind of a serious one, but it's about. It's called Bloody Bloody Advice. And uh, you want to tell us about that story? That's one of your stories in this book. Ah. Uh. Bloody, Bloody advice.
0: Okay. Actually, the same woman told me another story, which I think is kind of interesting, because it's what happened after that story when she thought she'd moved away <laughs> from right. um, um, and that one is called Unmarked Grave. And I I find it interesting because Lee was 16 years old um, and she was just very psychic. She still is. She, has, she had for a while a radio show in uh, England and I was on that show. Uh, that's how I met her uh, when I was doing my first book. And this one's in my second book. Uh, and it's about when her family moved to Tunstall, which is in northern England, south of Manchester, and what ended up uh, being in their basement, which was not a very good thing. And and uh, this is like one of those stories that I only have one chapter in my second book called Ghost Behaving Badly. <laughs> and This belongs in that uh, particular chapter. Um, now when they moved into the house, and fortunately it was a rental, um, most of the storage was in the basement, and when Lee, uh, was helping unload things into the basement, she had a really bad feeling about that area, and, uh, she expressed that to her parents, and they said, well, you don't have to go into the basement, we're just storing things here, so don't worry about it, uh, so she didn't. But one day, uh, she ended up being sent down there anyway. By of all people, her younger brother. Uh, they were playing a game of truth or dare, and her brother said, after she lost, what well, I don't know how it's played, but she she had to now uh, do a dare. And he said, I dare you to go down into the basement, and no flashlight allowed. So of course, you can't show that your your little brother that you you know you can't handle something. So she felt that she had to go down there. And so she descended into the basement, and um, despite the lack of lighting, she spied a dark figure sitting on one of the boxes, and uh, she reacted the way I think uh, I would react. She screamed and raced back up the stairs, and she said to her brother, hey, uh, there's someone in the basement. I'm not going down there again, and so her brother went, oh, really, and he got a flashlight, and he went down into the basement, and he saw nothing. So um, after that, Lee decided, you know what, that's it, never going down there again, except that uh, one day her parents decided that they were going to have a celebration, invite people over, I don't know if it was a birthday or you know something like that, and they asked her to go down into the basement and get a punch bowl that was uh, stored there, something that you really don't use every day. And uh, she hadn't told her about what had happened with her brother, uh, so they didn't realize that she had an apprehension about going down there. Um, so she went down, found the box, uh, had it in her arms, turned around. This time she saw a little bit more detail. Uh, she saw the man uh, with a woman in his arms, and she looked dead. And he laid her on the floor, and he started digging a hole. Well, that was it. She zoomed upstairs, and, and she decided... She still didn't say anything to her parents, which is crazy to me, but she's 16. Um, so she decided, uh, in her 16 year old mind that the way she would defend herself was that she was going to shut and lock the, uh, basement door very tightly and would never again return to the basement. That was it. She'd had it. Uh, but later that night she heard a scratching noise in the house that made her jump. She went over to the basement door and found it open. And when she looked at the door and walls, there were scratch marks everywhere. And she thought to herself, well, what's causing that? And her brother also had heard the noise, and he woke up, and he saw the scratch marks all over the door, and decided to take a flashlight and go down there, and he saw someone in the basement. So now he finally believed her. They tried to talk to their parents about it, but their parents didn't want to hear anything about it. I mean, they were renting this house. They had a lease. They just didn't want to hear anything about it. So uh, one afternoon, she did something that I highly recommend that people don't do, but She was a teenager and she just figured, you know, I mean, it seemed to make sense to her. She uh, got out a Ouija board and uh, she said, Whoever's in the basement, tell me your name. And it spelled out the name Mark. So she went to the local library to read old newspapers to determine if someone named Mark had ever lived in her home because it was an old house. And what she found was that there had been a man named Mark Thomas who lived in the house in 1917 and he had brutally murdered his girlfriend and buried her in the basement then she saw a photo of the girlfriend and the young woman looked very much like herself
1: oh boy was it did somebody really get killed and put in that basement did somebody what did somebody really get murdered and put in the basement
0: yes um obviously they had Discovered that, and oh, they horrible. exhumed her and buried her somewhere else but uh that was a real thing that happened, and that's what she had seen.
1: That's why she kept seeing it because it was unresolved you know oh, yeah. her body i was mean she found documented
0: it. it through an old newspaper there was an article about it
1: wow well there is a you have a story you know that's connected with this about beyond suicide and um, I really like what you wrote about that because, uh, you know, when people are feeling hopeless, but some of them do try to kill themselves and instead they have a near-death experience. And do you want to explain, you know, what is happening here?
0: Is this the um, – is this a specific it's, story? It's, Was it, um, is uh, this the okay, one
1: it about the – This is beyond suicide, just before Charles, the creative director, it's uh, – Let's see. It's you at the, the page bottom number. of that bloody vice. Yeah, it's, uh, let's see what page this is. Uh, I don't know. I can't see it. <laughs> okay. Dang. Well, it's talking about, you know, later in the book, you know, people share their near death experiences. I'm really glad you put that in there because this is a phenomena that, um, is actually, you know, solidifies our beliefs in the other world, is that you go near, you go there, and so you see oh,
0: yeah. it. Well, uh, most people who've had near-death experiences, uh, and it's funny, one of the things, I, I don't have the page in front of me, but okay. one of the things that I remember f- uh, f- researching was that they they assumed that somebody who who tried to commit suicide and had a near-death experience would still come back and be pretty depressed you know, because they tried to kill themselves. But people who had near-death experience and actually experienced the other side and then came back usually weren't interested in committing suicide anymore. They they had a like a 180 uh, on their attitude about things because now they realize that uh, this was not all there was and it just, you know, made a huge difference. Um, the statistics I saw on... People in general, not just people who commit suicide, but people in general, because a lot of people who have NDEs have heart attacks and things like that. The University of Virginia did a study, and uh, (coughs) they found that there were profound changes in attitudes and beliefs and values that did not fade over time after someone uh, returned from an NDE. 86% had less fear of death, which makes sense. 82% uh, possessed a greater belief in survival after death because they'd seen it. 81% became more spiritual. Uh, 78% became more compassionate with a desire to help others because they understood that that's why we're really here. Uh, 78% experienced more meaning and purpose in life. I mean, that's big right there. Um, 77% developed more appreciation of life. And by the way, these percentages can overlap. They can be the same people. Um and this is kinda of funny to me. Fifty three percent develop less interest in material objects, so we're still interested in material objects. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just thought that was kinda of interesting. Um Yeah. But uh I have an interesting story, um, about a gentleman in England who tried to commit suicide and um there was an intervention from the other side and I thought that was a very interesting story if if uh if I can tell that one. Um, yes please there was back in 19 th- this is by the way told to me by a a school teacher Linda from England and this is about her brother uh, back in 1974 when he was 43 years old uh, it was Linda's older brother Ronnie and um, he basically had a first hand experience with how nosy departed relatives can be but fortunately for him uh, a little postmortem parental interference saved his life um Now, her brother had had some problems, and uh, at one point he considered killing himself. Um, He just kind of didn't think he could cope with any of this stuff. Um, He purchased some rope with the intention of taking his life by hanging. At the point at which he was about to jump off a chair with a noose around his neck, his father, who died uh, probably about four years earlier, appeared to him suddenly and said, this is England, don't be so bloody stupid. <laughs> what are you doing? You can't do this. And Ronnie stopped immediately because he was so shocked at what he'd seen. Uh, and he, at that point, decided that maybe suicide wasn't the answer to his problems. And as a result, he lived a long life and enjoyed many things he might otherwise have missed. Uh, he finally passed from natural causes in 2008. And uh, Linda misses him, but she assumes he's probably joined their father and getting involved in other people's earthly business. And maybe just sometimes that type of interference isn't such a bad thing after all.
1: No, it's not. And I think sometimes, you know, we will recognize our family member or, you know, you'll think, oh, is this a guardian angel or, uh, what do you think about angels, and what, have people given you reports on on angels Uh what they saw? Well, an uh, I anything? have a
0: chapter on angels in my second book called "Angelic Flybys," and and um, you know people see angels, uh, and they usually are there to literally swoop in and help you with your life, um, and I I think it's. Uh, my feeling from all the interviews I've done, I mean, I can only speculate, but this is this is what I, I think based on everything I've read and the people I've interviewed is that even when you feel like you're all alone in this world, you're not. Uh, you're surrounded by guides, uh, sometimes by angels, uh, certainly by people who've passed who cared about you. Um, they're all kind of looking in on you and... Um, they're you know they're they really care about you and they, and they're tr- they try to help you in any way they can uh usually by whispering suggestions into your mind um but you're never really alone, and uh even if you're Definitely. not feeling loved, you're very much loved
1: very and, much so I think we get and, the I, help. and that's a
0: very reassuring thing to know yes it is so so far have you uh
1: experienced the angelic would you say?
0: Uh, myself, I have not, yeah. although I I did experience something when I was very young that might have been um, a guide. Um, I'm not quite sure how to interpret it, but there was this figure that followed me from, from uh, one apartment to a house. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I just didn't get a negative feeling from it. But I also, it was a point in my life where, uh, I didn't really know how to integrate it, and I kind of dismissed it, even though it was a pretty interesting experience. I think people do tend to do that when they they just have no way to, you know, integrate it into their beliefs.
1: Definitely, because you know there's something to be happening in right front of a person's face, and and they don't see it. You know, I think this really ended up with me and my husband separating because um, the last time we were in a room together that's what he said. He said, he, I don't know, he came in, he, he locked the door and he said, i got to tell you something. I said, well, what? And he said, you know, World War II, they have these ladies, they're called plane spotters and they use them because they're better than radar and they know what's coming and they can tell exactly what it is and everything else. He said, you're one of those, aren't you? Because I would, be, I did, I was able to do that among other things but the plane thing kind of threw him off I guess because I would Say he's not the you know there's a plane going over it looks like this and this he said how do you know I said well I see it in my mind's eye but I hear something even before it happens so I said yeah. outside there it is and it kind of shocked him and but he said that I said I said you know I've been telling you that for twenty years so why is this so new to you like you know what I mean it's it's just flabbergasting he,
0: he heard it but it didn't sink in
1: no I think that's and really what saw
0: it. Yeah,
1: I think the one that, that was the unusual one is when the B-2 bomber came down our alley. And this is from Osa Beach, California. There's no flight pattern of the B-2 bombers. But it was right down our alley. And I kept telling him that he would actually laugh at me until one day he was yelling. He said, Shawnee, come outside. went so outside. There was a B-2 bomber heading out oh, to the my. ocean. And there's, they look so weird because a beautiful, bright, bright white cloud, blue sky, beautiful, beautiful day at the beach. And there was this black thing that looked like a folded up airplane, plain in black, going out, and it disappeared into a very white cloud. It was very odd, and he looked at me. I think he forgot that too, because he was saying, "Well, how do you know they're over our alley?" I said, "I can see them in my mind's eye. You know, they're going over here every now and every other night. You know, it was there a lot. You know." It is and say, well,
0: to forget stuff, though. I mean, I can remember twice—twice yeah. twice in our marriage over the last—we've been married, I guess. 23 years, Um, my husband, you know, usually when you leave for work in the morning, you say, see you tonight, honey, have a nice day. But twice uh, during the course of our marriage, he said, well, see you tonight, honey, be careful when you drive, but, you know, have a nice day. And I didn't, you know, I didn't, it didn't really dawn on me that he had thrown in, be careful how you drive. Both times he said that. Um, I ended up in an automobile accident where my car was totaled that wasn't my fault.
1: Oh,
0: my God. <laughs> um, so, if I ever hear him say before I leave the house, drive carefully, I probably will call in sick that day.
1: <laughs> I think so, my God. Because, um, okay, so this is a way to that But I didn't really listen to me. what he
0: said. You well, know, I, mean, I know,
1: because I'm listening, okay? So, this is what happened. This is how weird it came to me, too. There was like a, I still believe we have a small, quiet voice in our head that knows everything.
0: You know what I mean? This voice uh, is telling
1: me this could be my, what do you call it? Intuition. Yeah. So it's very sure of itself. And this one said it's going to be weird on the freeway. Watch out. It just said weird. I went, oh, great. It's going to be weird on the freeway. So, I was very careful. I was looking at three cars ahead, really. That's how careful I was being. Sure enough, this maniac, not in front of me, but in front of the girl that was in front of me, and she was like in a, a traveler wagoner or something like that, and he was in his white car because I'd been looking, so I knew what was up ahead. And uh, he suddenly started yanking his steering wheel back and forth within the lane. I mean, hard. You know, have you ever Absolutely. done that when you're kind of being – kind of you know, fun. You kind of. Sometimes I'll do that. I kind of skate back and forth when nobody's on the freeway. So I kind of like. I don't know if anybody else does this, but I'll stay in my lane. But I kind of, you know, I'm making the car dance a little bit. You know, because okay. I, I do that. I don't know if anybody else will do that. It's my first admission of this. Oh my God. Anyway, <laughs> so he was doing this to the extreme. I mean, yanking it. I could see there was people with him. Then he drove straight. So I was already putting on my brakes. Then the girl in front of me put on her brakes because she was watching the whole thing, right? The people behind me, two three cars back, did not see what the hell was going on. I put them on the brakes. I gave them a warning tap. They weren't they weren't watching in back of me. You know what I mean? So finally no. he made his crazy move. He he drove straight right off. I think we're in the second lane. Drove straight off when the, I mean he was across two three lanes straight like he was driving straight. It was one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. He actually, I had a slam on the brake. The people behind me, yeah, all of their crap, their coffee, everything went against this windshield. I saw it. You know, it looked like a washing machine was going on that thing. And the one in the back of them did the same thing they pulled off. You know what I mean? And nobody hit anybody. By the did this guy crash? No. He was like a maniac. He drove straight off the freeway. I mean, straight. I don't even know how any car didn't hit him. And then uh, he was screaming, and I couldn't keep looking over there because I had to drive, but I saw what was happening in back of me. It was terrible because I was tapping, and they weren't paying attention. You know, oh, you, that's kind of alert. I was taught, you know, you alert, you tap the brakes a couple of times. Anyway, well, yeah,
0: but people have to be paying attention, and these days they're looking at their phones. <laughs>
1: I know. <laughs> oh, God, this probably is what happened. But there was that warning, it's going to get weird out there, and that's just what it was, weird. I think it was weird that it differentiated between weird. it said it would be odd.
0: Well, you got the you got the mood. <laughs> I yeah,
1: mean, there, I got there it. was
0: there was something that was so bizarre that you didn't know how to you know it was almost uh, stunning.
1: Yeah, it was. When it was coming down, I was like, "Oh my God, here it is!" It was just so weird. But I knew it was to save our lives because uh, nobody died. When there could have been oh my god, the white car, the girl the girl in front of me, me and the two people in back of them. Who knows well, how actually, many were uh, gone?
0: My sister in law had, had an interesting story. It was in, from my first book about something that happened to her in traffic, which um I guess I could share. Okay. Um Please. Uh my, my late mother in law, my my uh husband's mother, was just a delightful human being. She was perhaps one of the most spiritual people I've ever met and um she was devout Catholic, but she believed in reincarnation, and she was so spiritual that she just you just never heard anything negative coming out of her mouth. She was just a lovely woman. Um, but she was also a strong Italian. She was no wimp. Um, and so when she, she died, we all missed her very much because she was kind of like the hub of the family. And yeah. uh, my sister-in-law was also very close to her. And one day, um, my sister-in-law, whose name is Francine, um, she was driving to work, and uh, she um, stopped at a light, and you, on her left, it was a two-lane road going in her direction, was a big green van, and the traffic, you know, was zooming by in the other direction. And uh, before the light turned green, she suddenly looked down at her hand, and she saw our late mother-in-law's wedding ring on her finger instead of her own, which really startled her. And then she looked into the rearview mirror, and she saw Connie sitting there in her classic blue-flowered house dress, smiling at her. And Mm. as she's staring at our late mother-in-law in in the back seat, the light changed. And, of course, in New Jersey, um, culturally speaking, when the light changes to green, you hit that gas and you're you're going. Right. <laughs> okay, so that, that's kind of the culture here. And normally mm-hmm. she would have done that, um, but she was distracted. And so the van to her left hit the gas and was out in the intersection and got broadsided by a, a large truck. Oh, and wow. that, that would have broadsided Francine had she not been distracted. And uh, when she heard the crash, she looked up cool. into the intersection and saw what had happened, and realized that had she been there, she would have been decapitated. That truck would have decapitated oh, her. Oh, oh. Um, so she was shaking, and she drove over to the side of the road. She couldn't drive. She was so upset. And she looked back into the mirror, and Connie was gone, and her ring was now her own wedding ring again. Mm-hmm. And uh, to this day, she, she insists that our late mother-in-law saved her life um, by distracting her.
1: She did because it wasn't her time, you know, uh,
0: and
1: plus uh, if she didn't die, she would have been severely hurt. And, uh, you know, I, I believe in intercession and, um, I have had very strange dreams that, uh, uh, have helped me. Like I had a friend that um, passed away, and I missed her. So she came to me in a dream, and I said, oh, my, she looked just still like herself. She was a very large, lawyer-like lady with crazy hair, and she still looked just just like herself, but her hair was nice, and she had a nice brown shift on. I said, oh, Beverly, you look so wonderful. She said, oh, thank you, you know, that, and then I started missing her again, so I was crying, and then she came to me, but it seemed like it was a special dispensation because there was a priest, he was doing, uh, you know, chanting and praying and he's doing the censor and they were on a, like a, a dock, you know, like a boat had just come in. And she talked to me and she said, give me that. And I had a, a folder full of a bunch of bills and I was all worried about everything, you know, because I had gone through a separation, lost our house and stuff like that. You know, it was a really sad time sure. for me. She took it and she said, she took the, the file she said, okay, I'm going to take care of this, but don't call me back again. <laughs> like, oh <my> God.
0: <laughs> she has other things to do.
1: She's very busy where she is and don't call again. So I just, when I start to cry over her, because you know when you have like a broad and she's part of your friendship circle, there's nothing sure. quite like those ladies. You know what I mean? So I missed her for that fact. And you could tell her anything. And she had some crazy quotes for and she was really something else, but I st- I stopped worrying. You know, I've always made it. Sometimes I only made it within the, the dollar every month. You know what I mean? But I have always made it from then on. Well, good. You know, I never felt that despair. So she,
0: she kind uh, of whatever. took that uh, load off
1: of your shoulder. Yeah, she took that burden. And she was good at it. You know, a lot. She was good at it.
0: So I actually have... I think um, you're here
1: to help us. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. More.
0: Um, I have a, ch- a chapter in my second book called Messages from Morpheus, and they're, it's all about... Things that people have seen in their dreams. And uh, one lady, uh, she's from New Jersey, her, her name's Linda, and she's a wax specialist. I'm not sure where the wax specialist is, but that's what she does. And she's very psychic. And uh, this story is about when she first realized that she needed to really pay attention to her dreams because her dreams were tapping her on the shoulder and saying, Watch out for that. Um, one night she had. Which was really more like a nightmare. Uh, she dreamed that she and her husband went to a bar, and, and they were sitting down with their drinks. And a man walked into the room with a gun, and he started shooting everyone. And they um, fell to the floor, and she couldn't find her husband anywhere, and she started screaming hysterically. And it was at that point that her husband woke her up and said, It's okay. It's just a dream. Don't worry about it. It's okay. And and she calmed down, finally um well as fate would have it the next night linda and her husband went to to a club in philadelphia to meet some friends and a short time after they were seated she suddenly turned to her husband and insisted they had to leave they had just gotten their drinks and her husband said well let me finish my drink we just got served and uh she said no we have to leave now and she was so insistent that they kind of, you know, went, oh, we better leave, okay. So they got up, and as they were walking out, they saw two men in the parking lot near the club fighting over a woman. One of the men left, and so they just kept walking down the block, and you know, they were going to have to find a different bar to, you know, to have a social gathering in. But um, a few minutes later, they heard gunshots ring out in the parking lot and saw people stampeding down the street out of the club. And Linda and her husband and their friends were running ahead of them (laughs) to get out of the area. They heard the next day on the news that the man who had left the parking lot got angry and returned with a gun and began shooting. She doesn't remember if anyone was killed, but she did remember the dream, and it taught her and her husband to listen to her dreams in the future, and, and she does today.
1: Well, because they're there for a purpose, and I I have like three different, four different categories of dreams, and one is like a big dream where you're having a spiritual experience, and then there's those message dreams, you know what I mean, that are telling you, you know, something specific, you know, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it's such a mysterious world, I don't know what the rules are, you know, because when things happen, sometimes I ask, you know, myself, like, what does that mean? like what rule was that <laughs> i can't figure out you know um why weren't we weren't either taught or anything about some of the stuff because some of this stuff is very unique you know all these stories are amazing you know but some of the things that happened we i wasn't really taught that this was happening well would happen. if,
0: you're, if you're not in an environment where it's accepted i mean uh Stephen's grandmother um Dolores, uh she lived to be almost 100 She was known in the family as being the one who had the dreams that warned people of everything. She would have a dream. She'd wake up. She'd give somebody a phone call and say, watch out, blah, blah, blah. Whatever she dreamed, it always came true. Um, And sometimes she couldn't do anything about it. Like she Mm -hmm. had a dream one night that, uh, you know, her, her, uh, I guess it was her nephew. um, she, She knew there was something really serious wrong with her nephew, and she called um, her brother, and uh, she said, uh, you know, what's wrong with Mario? And uh, he said, wow, it's really weird that you called. He was in a really bad automobile accident, and uh, he's in the hospital right now. And I mean, like she would have those type of, of dreams. And it, it's kind of interesting. Um, some paranormal researchers, this is some of the stuff that I have in my books, um, are about studies that have been done uh, by, you know, universities, military, and or people who just like to research the paranormal. And uh, these paranormal researchers, Bill and Judy Guggenheim, interviewed a number of people whose lives had been saved by a communication with a dead relative. And, um, you know, most mediums will tell you that our departed relatives have an ongoing interest in our lives. Um, and um, sometimes they may try to warn us that something bad is about to happen. Uh, the three most common messages received by people, uh, according to the Guggenheims, were uh, signs that helped prevent a car accident, a warning about a serious medical condition requiring immediate attention, and an early alert about a fire. I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, that's the type of things that would typically, you know, we'd be tipped off about.
1: We need to be. I think a lot of this is inherited, and it, and there's a reason for that, is because you know we haven't always had phones and uh, radar or planes in the air or anything. You know, before cars or before TV, you know, before radio, people had to depend on this. So I think, that's what I think there was a time where well, people would have a phone. Well, we better go visit so and so and so and so. You know, because something's happening.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, the the story behind uh, basically the first. I think the first university in the U.S. that did paranormal studies academically was uh, the uh, Rhine Research Center, which is uh, in in, uh, North Carolina. And it originated on Duke University. It's it's since uh, moved off campus, but uh, between the 1930s and the 1980s, it was located at Duke University. And the reason why uh, Dr. Rhine got Interested in studying the paranormal was because of something that happened when uh, he was uh, a young boy that couldn't be explained. Uh, actually, it happened to his professor, um so it was even before he was born. Um, he went to the University of Chicago and he actually studied to be a botanist. And um, he had a mentor at the University of Chicago, and his mentor at a cocktail party told him this interesting story. Uh, That changed his life. He said that when he was a young boy, his father was a doctor in the area. This is before telephones and and before uh, automobiles. People were still hitching up horses and carriages. And uh, one night a neighbor came over and said, uh, I'm really upset. I had this dream about my brother. I I dreamt that uh, he, you know, I was coming up to the house. I saw his wife finishing the dishes in the in the kitchen uh then i walked into the barn <coughs> and i saw that my hus my uh sorry my brother had shot himself in the head with a uh shotgun and the gun had rolled into the corner on the hay and he was lying there and i it was so lucid it was so real that i'm really upset um and he said well man, there's no reason to be upset um i'll hitch up the horses and I uh, we'll you know, I'll, I'll drive you out to your your brother's farm and, and you'll see everything's fine and there'll be nothing to worry about. And she said, oh, thank you so much. So they got into the carriage and uh, I don't know how many miles it was, but they they had a little bit of a drive and uh, they finally pulled into the farm and as they're pulling up to the house, she could see her sister-in-law in the kitchen finishing up the dishes and they got out of the carriage and they walked to the barn and When they got to the door of the barn, they saw that her brother had indeed shot himself in the head with a shotgun, and it had rolled into the corner of the barn on the hay. Uh, Now, after he heard this story, Dr. Ryan became uh, basically obsessed with the idea that there had to be a scientific reason why something like this could happen. There had to be a scientific explanation, and he wanted to discover what it was. So he ended up getting funding to start um, the Rhine Research Center at Duke University. And they have written, they they wrote hundreds and hundreds of stories, recorded things. They interviewed people all over the country about everything you could possibly imagine. And they were basically the kind of the uh, flagship for academic study of the paranormal. Other universities have, have followed them. But... It was because of that incident that instead of becoming a botanist, he spent his entire life researching the paranormal, which I find very interesting. And that all because of a dream, a dream that came true.
1: Yeah, you know, it's uh, Dr. Raymond Moody. Had uh, been, you know, I I don't know if you know who he is, but yeah, um, he, he yeah he started studying. I think I've interviewed him like three times. I lo- I really love him. Because he had a lot of guts to be out there, you know, professional doctor, and he started noticing near-death experiences and and things like that. And he would say, uh, what I learned from the last time we talked, that um, he said p- people share near-death near experience. And that for me, that would say uh, that means a lot because people have come to me before and after they've died, which I didn't know that existed.
0: I've heard you know, of that be, before.
1: Yeah, because I had never heard of it, and I was because well, I didn't know what to expect. Because my dad had passed away, and I didn't hear from him at all. So I went, "Wow!" Then three years after he died, you know, he came to me and told me a lot of stuff, and we have total forgiveness. And then I found out about that. You can forgive after death, even even then.
0: Oh, know, well, that's my... more likely. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you, you yeah, you see things more clearly after you're out of the physical world. Yeah, uh, people are often my sorry touch. after they've died. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And then my best friend, her father, came to me before he died, and said, "Showed me different things." And it actually, all came down just like that. And it was so true to to real. I had to tell her. I asked her. She's my best friend. We've been friends forty years. I said, if I need something. You know, would you want me to tell you?" And she said, "Yes." I said, "Within thirty days, your death's going to pass, and then somebody else in the family is just going to be right before that, like right before that, within a week." And it happened just like that.
0: Interesting. Yeah, his, it's funny. Um,
1: his,
0: he, he got sick. He the same doctor.
1: His father died from brain something. A week later, I mean, we went to funerals and wakes and everything for, you know, gotten a solid. Wow. I don't know. It,
0: I don't
1: to going back to, um, Go ahead.
0: to Duke University, one of the things yeah. that they found, that, that I found very interesting, um, they had cataloged thousands of precognitive experiences, and that's where someone foresees f- a future event, much like you just described. And um, what they found was very interesting. Uh, they found that most precognitive experiences occurred in dreams, and 60% of those were vividly realistic. Even more interesting, um, They discovered in reviewing cases of people who tried to change the outcome they had foreseen that only three people were successful. Now, that may not seem like a lot of people, um, but one of the points the the Rhine Research Center made was um, that if you can change an event, even once, that means the future is not immutable. The future can be changed. It's not set in stone. I thought that was kind of an interesting point. um, Well,
1: I think that's Einstein's point, too, that um, now the scientists mm -hmm. do say when you observe something, it changes something. You know, that that, we have an immediate impact. Yeah, we have an immediate impact on everything around us. And I I feel that you can change your destiny. Well, I think a lot of recovering people know that, you know, to an extent. I agree with you on that. Like a lot of people get sober, they change their whole life, they're wearing a bitch, now they're up in heaven. You know, it's just a kind of a miracle of what can happen when you change. So I believe in change.
0: Oh, But uh, I yeah, sometimes absolutely.
1: believe that you can't change something, and I don't know why it happens. I've tried a on a couple occasions to change what was going to happen, and nothing I well, did worked.
0: Sometimes you can, and so, sometimes something is supposed to happen because either that's simply somebody's time to, to leave. Or they need to have an experience to change them or to learn something. And so you're not allowed to interfere with that.
1: Or everybody else is supposed to learn from it.
0: Oh, absolutely. Whatever. I mean, if somebody's it's dying, gonna they're going to gonna impact everybody around them. Absolutely. Right.
1: You know, I'm, what I love is this, I'm sorry.
0: I'm having problems hearing you. I hope you can hear me.
1: Can, yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Oh.
0: Now I can hear you. You kind of faded out. So if you asked me anything, I couldn't answer it. I didn't hear it. (laughs) Okay.
1: Uh, You know, I love this woman's name that you wrote about, Marie Antonia. Oh. Yes, I love that story.
0: Yeah, that's um, a very good friend of mine. We we, uh, have known each other for many years, and she came from Italy. And that story was um, about uh, how... uh, you know, nosy relatives come back and and they still try to dictate how we do things, but it's kind of a fun story if you'd like me to tell it. Oh, um, please. Okay. Well, this is from a friend of mine, Jo. She's a price development manager at a corporation, and she uh, was born in the, the Calabria region of Italy, and uh, this is uh, a story about um, something that happened to her mother. Um, now, as you probably know as a psychic, heirlooms often hold the energy of our ancestors, and yeah. sometimes they can hold even more. Um, now, one day, Joe and her mother, her mother's name was Marie Antonia, were packing belongings uh, because they were finally going to move to their first real home in the U.S. They had rented for years, um, and now they were finally getting their new home. But whenever you move, there's a tendency to get rid of things that you don't really want or need. Um, it's just one less thing to move. And uh, so her mother was in the cellar packing up a steamer trunk uh, she had brought over from Italy many years before with the last of the items to be transferred to the new house. Uh, one of the items was a monstrosity of a handwoven woolen blanket, you know, those really old ones that are so heavy. Um, her own mother, uh, Joe's grandmother Stella, had given her for a wedding present. Uh, The blanket was a dark navy blue, tightly woven, enormous thing (laughs) that Joe says uh, would have covered any size bed and suffocated any sleeper. Um, (laughs) Her mother never used it, so she decided that she would donate it. So uh, next to the steamer trunk were several cardboard boxes that Maria, uh, Maria Antonia was filling up with items that would not be moving with the family. Instead, they were being donated to the church gift shop. And she was expecting her friend Irma to come by the house to take donations, which consisted mostly of knickknacks, used clothing, mismatched kitchenware, and and now this heavy woven blanket. Uh, and her mom felt a little guilty because it was a wedding present from her mother, but she thought the blanket would go be- to better use, uh, or any use, anywhere else <laughs> outside their home. So um, as Marie Antonia was wrestling with the item, trying to fold it into a smaller box because this thing was, you know, big and heavy. She heard someone calling her name as if from upstairs. And those were in the days when everyone left their doors unlocked and neighbors knew all the entrances. They would just come in. And um, the voice calling, uh, she figured had to be Irma, her friend, who was coming to pick up the donations. And um, uh, Joe's mother called out, uh, I'm down here, Irma, come on down. And then she heard, again, Marie Antonia. Um, but now the voice sounded like it was from the back of uh, the apartment near the cellar entrance. So, um, you know, she figured, oh, Irma had walked uh, out into the backyard. So she said, Irma, I'm in the cellar. Watch your step. Um, and then suddenly, almost like a shout, she heard, Marie Antonia, no! <laughs> and... um it was. she knew that the shout came from right behind her, and she froze because uh, she couldn't turn around. She recognized her mother's voice, her mother who had been dead over 40 years. So Marie Antonia quietly lifted the woven blanket out of the box and whispered, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're right. This is your blanket. You gave it to me. I'm keeping it. And with that, she bolted up the cellar stairs with the blanket and came back into the kitchen just in time to see Irma coming up the front steps from the street. <laughs> uh, you know, this is very strange uh,
1: and a lovely story. And I love her name, and I get I get how her personhood is. You know, I could feel that. And then um, it reminds me when I was a kid that I would pop up because I heard voices, so I would do whatever the voice said. So if it was my mother, I would go stand in front of my mother. What do you want? She says, I wasn't calling you, but I was thinking of you. I was very startling to her. <laughs>
0: That's have yeah, this little
1: kid pop up all the time, but I heard it, you know, and then I got kind of scared for the reactions. That's when I guess I started getting scared. You well, know, because children
0: I, learn very quickly what's acceptable and what isn't. They can they can read yeah. how other people feel. I mean, even if you're not psychic, you can read that. Kids are just very reactive.
1: Very much so, and uh, you know, uh, what do you uh, think of? I like the the the, the titles of of the story. The next one was. Aunt infestation, infestation.
0: <laughs> oh, that one. Yes, this is a uh, this. These stories are from a chapter called "The Bossy Departed," and they're all stories yeah. of of uh, relatives who came back and had to get the last word in, one way or another. Uh, yeah, this was from um, a very nice young man. He was very, very shy about talking about his psychic experiences. His wife ba- basically put him up to it and said, "Come on, share it." Um, And, yeah, this is called ant infestation, but it's spelled A-U-N-T, like the relative. Yeah. Uh, So basically there are certain places that seem to harbor physical, or I'm sorry, psychic activity. Uh, And the house where Ben grew up in the 1990s was one of them. Uh, He he said crazy things happened in that house. Uh, There was an old computer keyboard stored in his bedroom, and he would hear keys going. Uh, He said things slid off of shelves in his room, even if they were in the middle of the shelf with no way to naturally fall off. And one morning, he woke up and saw a T-shirt moving at the end of his bed. Something pulled it across the bottom of his bed and onto the floor like it was on a fishing line. So he saw some really crazy things in his house. Um, But perhaps the most memorable brush he had with the paranormal happened when he was about 10 years old. Uh, His older sister had a sleepover, and of course, being the annoying younger brother, He would hang out with the girls, Um, and uh, for some reason he wasn't able to sleep one night. Uh, The girls all fell asleep, but he did not, and he sat on top of his bed. It was dark, and everyone else was basically in dreamland. Uh, It was in the early morning, and um, he thought maybe he couldn't sleep because he'd eaten too much sugar. As he gazed into the corner of the room, just staring, um, out of nowhere this figure manifested. It was a blurry bluish purple light even as he saw it he found himself doubting that it could be happening i mean you know when these things happen and you're not accustomed to it there's a part of you that says no this isn't happening and that's kind of what was going on with him then uh this figure started walking toward him like a human and he said the specter was a little over four feet in height and was dressed in a shroud that's enough to freak anyone out particularly an 11 year old kid Uh, It looked down on him and said, your father has taught you wrong. He was so scared he wanted to scream, but he couldn't scream or even talk. Um, He remembers sliding back off the bed and literally crawling out the door, then running down the hallway and turning on every light in the house. He looked at the clock on the microwave, and it was 3 a.m., that magical time of of night when things seemed to happen. Uh, Now, he wasn't sure what the spirit meant, but his father was always an enigma to him. Shortly after that, his parents divorced, and today his father is a recluse. When Ben spoke to his family about the experience, he learned that his grandfather and two sisters had seen the ghost in the house as well. Uh, His grandfather thought it was his uh, departed Aunt Josephine visiting. Even though Ben no longer lives in the house and hasn't had any experiences since he moved away, to this day, if he wakes up in the early morning and sees it's around 3 o'clock. He gets very nervous. Yes. Now, what, do you think that was
1: a ghost or something else? Now, I have um, heard people say they saw a bluish-purple light in their house and it turned out to be like a UFO thing.
0: Oh, I I, I don't know.
1: Um, Especially I, the clothes.
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I got the feeling that it was, uh, a relative who was just, just being nosy, but, um, you know, who knows? We can only speculate. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's true.
0: So, um,
1: let's see. Um, I want you to tell people that you have uh, quite a few things coming up, and I want them you to know, tell them where is your website to get a hold of you.
0: Oh, okay. That is com, and uh, you can read about both of the books there, and you can order it if you want. Um It's available on Amazon, barnesandnobles.com, and also uh, directly from the publisher. Although, to be honest, it's cheaper if you get it from Amazon or or Barnes and Nobles if, you know, the publisher is going to charge a full price.
1: They have a lot of bargains, you know, and we all are very used to ordering books from Amazon by now. That's where I get everything, basically, if I don't pick it up, you know.
0: They're convenient. Yeah, it's convenient. Yeah.
1: So you're also having uh, some book signings and things coming up uh, here in July.
0: 10th. Yeah, I uh, depends on what part of the country you're in. I'm having I'm I'm in the Northeast. Uh, I'm going to have uh, a book signing on I believe it's Friday the 15th. I think the 15th is a Friday, uh, and that's going to be in Millville, New Jersey, at Bogart's Bookstore, uh, and that's in the evening yeah. around six o'clock. And then uh, the following day, I'm going to be in Ocean City, New Jersey. Uh, at Rose um, City Dunrose. Books and Music, Words and Music, and that's going to be from 11 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And then I have uh, one in Rockaway, New Jersey, on September 25th, which is way far off from now, and that's going to be at 11 in the morning. I mean, uh, and another one at the Moravian Bookstore in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, coming up uh, in October. And if you're if you go to psychicbystander.com to the events page, you can get the details on on the book signings, and I would be delighted to see you if you want to come out to any of those. Yeah,
1: everybody's welcome, and um, you can get a signed book, which is cool. And how much fun must you be having just to read your book? Because I had a dream that I actually was doing lectures and selling my books and stuff like that. My book isn't published yet, but after that dream, I went, oh, that's how it changes, because I'm getting, <laughs> to reti- getting ready to retire in a couple of years. I, you know, I'm a little bit tired of doing that. I love what I'm doing, but I'm a little literally tired, you know. And uh, I would love to just talk and read books and talk about books. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fun. I, of,
0: it must I be mean, nothing like it. by day I'm a science writer, um, but uh, this it's is cool. what I do for fun.
1: It's wonderful. Does your
0: husband come along or uh, your family support you in this? Um, when I do book signings, yeah, my husband comes with yeah. me. Um, I mean, if somebody asks, something that's that they need to talk to someone who's a first-hand psychic with. I can't help them. He sits there, and, and he'll answer their questions, and, you know, he's, oh, he's very boy,
1: sweet. Yeah, we're very, very great to support you like that. Um, and then uh, you have a couple more radio shows coming up. So July 10th is Beyond the Creed. She'll be in uh, 8 p.m., and that's Eastern Time. And then July 29th, she's going to be on Paranormal Radio on the TMV Cafe Radio. And, uh, these are all, you'll have all the links on the, on your page. Yeah. And then if you go to object. the
0: events page, I have my radio shows and my book signings all listed there. Actually they're they're listed there so that I can keep track of them. <laughs> yeah. Just, just think, I was looking at your schedule
1: and oh my you she's in a, a tight schedule, you know, and I'm always just, just so happy to have you on because you're delving into something that really to me makes life rich. And it's like, there's half this life above ground and then there's the other dimension that's the other part. And there's probably even more parts, but it makes it all whole for me. I, I, I I
0: would tend to agree. I think, um, you know, what makes life fascinating are the magical things that you don't have answers to. I'm, I'm interested in writing about science for the same reason that I'm interested in writing about the paranormal because they're both about trying to figure out the world around us. And, um, you know, it's fascinating. Uh, and as a journalist, I, I love writing about these things. I love interviewing people about their personal stories. Uh, to me, you learn more f- from talking to people about their lives than you can learn from anything else. Really
1: true. you can speculate, so There's just so much where it starts being just a bunch of words and meaningless. But then when you hear it directly from the source, it's rich and it's lovely and it grows. It changes over time. Yeah. These
0: people are really interesting people, you know. Uh, I, I mean, the way I got, uh, there's a fellow who's in my first book, and um, he he was a client of mine, and uh, he called at the end of the summer. I, I had been writing my first book, uh, most of it during the summer, and he said, so what did you do this summer? And I said, well, I was writing a book about people's psychic experiences, and there was a moment of silence on the phone. This, this guy's a CEO of a company. And I thought, oh mm-hmm. boy, I really shouldn't have said that. Uh-oh. And then um, suddenly he says, "Well, I'm psychic. That's how I run my company." And I, oh I was like, totally like shocked. Oh and he God. says, "Do you want to interview me for your book?" And I went, "Sure." <laughs> so oh I have like my several God. stories from him in my first book, and I was like so surprised. And when I started talking to people, I found out that almost everyone around me was having all these amazing experiences. That it's it's really part of the human experience. People just don't talk about it so you don't realize how common it is. And and that's kind of one of the things I learned from writing the two books, that this is really common. I mean, these are people who are the bedrock of society. They're they're business people. They're, they're police officers. They're teachers. They're nurses. They're doctors. These are, you know, these are not crackpots. These are like your everyday people, and they're all having these amazing experiences that they're not sharing. Well, yeah, because you get immediate laugh or uh,
1: or whatever. I think you know. Pretty soon, people gonna stop laughing. You know, when people start. I you don't know if if you go by a, a religious belief that believes that the dead do come back. You know. So uh, I I don't well, really don't it, know about it.
0: It it's fascinating and and it's funny. Out of all the people I interviewed for um, the two books, I mean, two hundred stories, more than two hundred stories in those two books, there was only wow. one person who freaked out after they saw their stories in print, <laughs> and said, do not put it in the book. And so I out of courtesy, I, I mean, I could have put it in the book because when you interview somebody, that's them giving you permission to use it. But I, right. I didn't put it in the book because I don't think it's appropriate to share a story that somebody doesn't want shared. But here's the interesting oh, part. This person who didn't want to share their stories was a medical doctor. And this is a doctor who works in a very prestigious, state-of-the-art hospital in a large metropolitan area, and what she does is she's a palliative end-of-life care doctor, and she works with palliative end-of-care nurses. And uh, she told me a couple of things that were very interesting, Um, and it would have been so powerful to have these stories, but they'll never see light of day. But generally speaking, um, she... And her nurses, sometimes, not always, uh, it would happen every once in a while, uh, when they, uh, you know, helped someone to die, they would see that person confused wandering around the hallways. Um, They obviously didn't understand what had happened to them. And she said, here's something that's very confidential, but you'll find it interesting. Uh, Once a month, this state-of-the-art hospital, you know, with all the scientific bells and whistles has a priest come in to clear out all of the souls that are lost and send them over to the other side through the white light. Because otherwise, there would be so much, so many souls wandering the hallways that it would be disruptive. Now, I thought that was really interesting.
1: It is interesting.
0: Yeah. This, this is a medical doctor, a very prestigious medical doctor, telling me this. Uh, well, the nurses in her ward could see, you know, the... For some reason, she, the doctor, and her nurses just coincidentally happened all to have psychic ability. And, um, you know, when she freaked out and said, you can't use this, this is just, no. Now that I see it in print, no. And I went, well, okay, I won't use it. Um, you know, and that's mm. a shame. Um, because yeah. it would have really, here, here's somebody who's so credible. And I I would have changed her gender. I would have changed where she was from, anything that she needed for it not to be attributed back to her. But she just couldn't deal with that. So it was interesting to me that she was the only one of all the people I interviewed for both books that um, was not able to deal with that. And um, there must be an incredible amount of social pressure uh, on doctors.
1: Yeah, there is, because there's a lot of uh, just like pilots uh, don't like to meet you have UFO sightings and they won't say anything. Sometimes they don't want to do the, do the report. Plus, I've had the the pilots tell me this. And they don't want to do the report and they don't
0: want to be stigmatized. All the oh, absolutely. My uh, my college roommate's husband was an Air Force pilot and she said, oh, they all see UFOs. They well, just they don't all talk do. about it. Yeah, she said yeah. they all see them. Well, because
1: there's, okay, something did happen to me. I I did, I was just, you know, in, the, in your whole life, you never think this would happen. But I did uh, meet Captain Robert Salas back in, oh, gosh, I think it was four years ago. And he introduced me to to himself by, you know, he was in Roswell. And, huh? uh, and yeah, so if if you don't know who he is, he's the one who was doing the, if anybody remembers the Montana missiles uh, when they were shut off by, they were nukes, and he was down in the ground directing the uh, the missile, but all his nukes got shut off and all that. So I met him there in um, New Mexico, Roswell. Then I met Travis Walden who was the uh, one of the guys that w- well, he was the guy that was abducted by aliens in Snowflake, Arizona. And that's a, a very big story. And you know, I for somehow before I knew any involvement on my part, really, I knew it. That's why I was at this conference. I mean, it was so long ago. I think it was way over, I don't know, maybe 30 years ago. So I was with my cousin, and we were we were watching these guys. And uh, it was weird because me, Travis Walton, and uh, Captain Robert South, we were on the same panel. I, it was like this happened the year before last or something like that. So I'm sitting on this panel, right? So I, it, has, it has something to do with the story. I'm sorry. you're not I mean, Okay, good. You're better at getting to the point. But anyway, I, I got yeah. a long <laughs> around the circle. <laughs>
0: anyway,
1: so, um, so here we are with these guys. And it was odd. People had an odd reaction with all three of us. It was very intense, first of all. And people swore that I was related to Travis Walton. I said, I'm not related to Travis Walton. Now, come on. You know what I mean? It's just stupid. But anyway, they kept insisting. And then I was in the room, and people were asking, it was a very receptive room. I don't think I've ever had that part of the experience before, being accepted and just talking. I said this so many outlandish things that I thought people were going to laugh me off the stage, really, because I said it's some way out stuff. It's the truth, but it is the truth. But I, I said all kinds of stuff. I was honest when they were asking me questions, so I just told them what I thought. And then somebody was asking, well, how did you get proof? And I remember thinking, well, something really big is going on in this room right now. It had something to do with love, acceptance. It was a very strange vibe.
0: It was it sounds like a very really positive odd.
1: one. Very positive, which is kind of odd because you usually have to argue with skeptics and all that. It wasn't going like that at all. Even though I really said the truth on a few things that are kind of like from science fiction or something else, but it's it's real and weirder than that, science fiction. But anyway... I said, oh, my God, something's happening right now. And I couldn't explain it because I remember looking in the room, and I went, okay, if this gets any worse, you know, I might have to say to people, just stay in your chairs or whatever. So I started praying, and whatever it was started to go away. It was like something, the lights were going to blow out. That's what I felt. Okay, I'm going to have all these people in here. The light's going to blow out. I'm just saying my personal reference on the stage. This is what I'm thinking the whole time we're just having a panel. Anyway, this is what happened. (sighs) Interesting. This is what happened All the tape erased
0: It's gone I've had that happen to me Every time I've ever gone to a psychic Medium to get a reading When I'd come home there would be no tape Nothing
1: It's so peculiar because I felt like Either we were entering another dimension Or the lights are going to blow up That's what I felt like was happening But instead the tapes were erasing And what happened is I got a copy I think uh, Travis and, uh, Robert got a coffee. That's it. They're all gone. There's nothing. There's no tape. There's no nothing. <laughs> because when I got home, see, I didn't find this out till later, what really did happen. Cause I already felt it. And I, I wondered what it was. So when I got home, I was thrashing around on my bed like a fish. They know about it. They heard me. I said it. Why did I do that? Why did I record? That? I was like, Oh my God, it was horrible. It was horrible. Like it was like being naked in front of the crowd thing.
0: Oh my God, I said that. Why did I say that? I was so horrified. Well you said it because it was your impulse to be honest.
1: Yes, it was my impulse. you got that right. There is an impulse to be honest. Well and some people, yes.
0: Those of us who don't work in government, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. My big
1: (laughs) my big impulse was is to hide. That's my number one impulse to hide.
0: Well, you that's know,
1: self-preservation, scared. isn't it? Isn't it? So I barely could sleep that night, and I could hear everybody thinking. It was a horrible night, I'm telling you. I could hear their thoughts. I could hear what they must be saying about me and all that. And, boy, was I happy to hear that all that was erased. <laughs> oh, That's funny.
0: I think, well, I think somebody that was, was looking after you. I, that's what I'm
1: saying. I think that was a God shot. I'm proud of it. I'm proud I did it, but it mortified me. I mean, I can understand why people take off the hills and never come back again.
0: Well, you know, it's funny. Um, I've done shows like this where the host is very knowledgeable about the paranormal, and I've also done mainstream radio shows where they're out to make fun of you. <laughs> and oh, I do find them beautiful. very challenging. Um, hmm. but I you know, my I don't argue with skeptics because I I totally get where they're coming from, having been there. Like I had one uh, radio host say to me, why should any of us believe in this? And I said, Mm. there's no reason why you should believe in it at all. I mean, it's up to you whether or not you believe in something. I would never try to convince somebody to believe anything. You have to base things on your own personal experience and and what makes sense to you. And he he was completely... um, you know, there was like a moment of silence. He didn't know what to say. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm not going to argue with somebody about beliefs no. because beliefs are very personal. And, uh, you know, none of us have a right to try to impose a belief on anyone else. That's just, you know, yeah. that has to be authentic. Uh, so what's the point in arguing? You know, go ahead and be a skeptic. I was. I totally get that. You know, and it's it's not necessarily unhealthy to start off with that attitude.
1: I'm glad that you you're saying that. I mean, people don't get hurt. You know, try not to get hurt when people you know just say, "Oh, you're crazy" and everything. Because I have been, you know, uh, terrorized even as an adult because my my I'm Greek Orthodox. You couldn't be more old school. <laughs> yeah, I have family members that are are uh, fundamentalist Christians. They don't believe I'm a Christian. I don't even know how they could say that. And I'm I'm so offended when they say it. It's like getting stabbed in the heart, really.
0: Well, you know don't I mean? allow them to make you feel that way because, you know, what other people think about you is unimportant. What you think about you is important. You know, I mean, they can think whatever they want. You obviously disagree with them, so you're not thinking so highly of them either. <laughs> so, you know, don't worry <laughs> about it. I just don't understand why it has to be blocked, and it's really hurt our
1: relationship. You know well, what I mean, I mean anybody these, who people. would not
0: respect you is, is not someone you exactly. would want just, to exactly. spend time with anyway. Oh, you're right. But anyway, so we're really at the end of our show. Uh, uh, Could you please tell them um, your uh, website again? Sure. Um, The website is uh, psychicbystander.com, and the two books are Loitering at the Gate to Eternity, Memoirs of a Psychic Bystander, and Sightseeing in the Undiscovered Country, Tales Retold. By a Psychic Bystander, and uh, I hope you will enjoy them if you uh, get a copy. It sounds beautiful. But I was wondering, why did you say that, uh, call it another country? Why did you say that? Well, that's from Hamlet. Uh, Shakespeare uh, referred to death as the undiscovered country. Uh, So sightseeing in the undiscovered country is just my way of saying, uh, you know, that's what these stories represent. We're getting little glimpses. I, I agree with that. So, uh
1: what time is it there?
0: Oh, you're here? in Jersey, huh? Yeah, yeah. uh it's uh, about five minutes to eleven.
1: Uh, okay. So um I really love New Jersey, you know, my mother was born in Poughkeepsie, I was born in Boston and we're all from back east, you know, but we got stranded over here in California.
0: Oh well, it's like <laughs> a horrible <laughs> place to get stranded. <laughs> 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 I have a lot of friends who live in uh in California. I have a friend from high school who lives in Ohio. Um oh cool. You know, Buddy Wilde oh, is uh listening and uh I have a friend who lives uh I guess in the Burbank area, uh Peter Onorati and he's uh an old Booten High School kid and uh oh, he made cool. good in in Hollywood. Oh awesome. That's hard to do. Yeah, well he's a character actor and I think uh because he has a very distinctive look, you know.
1: Yeah. Um, Well, congratulations to anybody that makes it here because it's pretty tough, you know.
0: But (laughs) even worse is New
1: York. New York is harder. I I just want to say, you know, they're kind of kicked back here for the most part. New York, you got to, it's pretty tough. You better know Um, something. You better have something.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is true. Well, you do the best you you can can and, uh, you know, hope for the best.
1: That's right. So I wish you and yours all the blessings and the happiness that you deserve. Uh you've, uh, you know, really gotten into some areas that a lot of people hesitate to do. But, you know, this this uh, talk with you is giving me chills. It's a whole, the whole thing. Because well, thank it has you a so ring-
0: much for uh, having me on your show. I, I enjoyed it the first time, and it was fun this time, too.
1: Well, anytime. You're welcome back. So uh, Oh, well,
0: hey, just ask.
1: Anytime. Okay, I will. And uh, God bless you and yours. And take care of yourself out there. All right. You, too. Okay, good luck on uh, all the the things you have coming up. Thank you. It's really nice. Okay, talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Well, that was an extraordinary person. I mean, just think, you know, I was dying to ask her some uh, scientific questions about uh, because we only have a couple minutes left. We've got one minute left. Wow. Anyway, so on her website, she has some very interesting uh, scientific stuff that she's talking about the consciousness and and the unconsciousness, uh, anything, and all stuff like that that's so very interesting. And go ahead and go over to her website for more interesting information and www.psychicbystander.com is where you can find all her stuff, her blog, and all kinds of interesting things, and you can get her book on Amazon. So uh, I want to thank Louisa Oakley-Green again, author of Seeing in the Undiscovered Country. And uh, I want to God bless everybody tonight. Thank you for being on the show. And we're going to carry on next week. God bless you. Love you. Bye.
0: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.